How to win a bar fight and practice diplomacy while negotiating a bounty on your head. From Civil Wars, Whistleblower Tactics, Schematic Drafting, and the Finer Points of Sith Adoption, The Essential How-To Guide for the Engineering Jedi, by Jack Daw read by Sam Gabriel, based on the works of George Lucas. Content warnings available in description. Chapter 15 I thank it for its willful protection. The train ride through the underground, Zev found, was both as exhilarating and stupendously boring as he could have imagined taking a two-and-a-half-millennia-old train being. And there was nothing but darkness all around, and he had to wonder what the various windows were for, since they showed nothing but occasionally dimly lit walls. Still, it was far better than the alternative, which was trawling through kilometers upon kilometers of these tunnels, or worse, the raging storm above patron or no patron of their flight. In the train, they were comfortable, safe, and Zev had to admit that for all that it lacked the stunning vistas that rooftop crawling had, he'd probably choose to travel by train rather than rooftop any day of the week, even if it was a hell of a lot more boring to look at. Though granted, the company largely made up for that. Luke had seemingly sunken back into something like an energy-conserving state, Eyes closed and body relaxed as he leaned back against the seat he'd chosen that, thankfully, was no longer right next to Tyrion, poor guy. The runner had started patrolling and running through his usual medical checks of them all soon after and ended up in a discreet corner seat in the booth behind them. He still had murder Quinn on his to-do list for the moment he could get away with it, though. Honestly, he'd first thought it was just the runner choosing to take a nap— but that was before Quinn and Val had gotten a tad too rowdy and Luke had revealed himself to be keeping close tabs on everything going on around him with a sharp reprimand towards the two. Frankly, Zev thought that his dad could probably learn a thing or two from Luke on what it really meant to rest your eyes. Though given the fact that first the runner had gone through the same route they had over the rooftops while parkouring like a madman, securing routes for them, murdering three people by way of throwing himself off a building— then guarding them throughout the underground, nearly knifing another jackass, doing improvised counseling for a lun, and then negotiating with an asshole of a train operator, Zev couldn't really say that he blamed Luke for taking the opportunity to rest again. He was feeling pretty worn from all that had happened today, too, and he hadn't even done any of those things. Honestly, he could only hope that this would all be over soon, because the exhibition itself already felt like it had been a week ago instead of mere hours— Today was a long fucking day, and it seemed it would be longer still before it was over, though at least they were heading in the right direction with a considerable gap building up between them and the mercs, or at least he hoped so. Force let him not have just jinxed all of that. Lost in thoughts? Tyrion asked from across the table, sympathy in his eyes, and with a blink he realized that he had been staring out the blankly black window for probably longer than could be excused as anything but that. Yeah, Zev admitted with a sigh, sinking back into his own seat. It just feels like we've been at this for a week instead of a handful of hours. Tyrion huffed but inclined his head as he rested it in his hand, staring out the window himself. Mercenaries and runners, underground railways and rooftop wanderings, he mused. 
It really is enough to make one feel like it's endless. I almost can't believe that this morning I woke up in the dorms uh, thinking it was just going to be another day, and now I'm here, riding on a train through a network that, for all intents and purposes, uh, is a ghost under the very city I grew up in. False, yeah, Zev groaned as he tipped his head back against the seat, abruptly reminded of the fact that he'd gone into this thinking this would be one of the most boring days of his life until his boss showed up. Well, he technically hadn't been exactly wrong about that. Remember what Director Magni said in this morning's gathering. This is going to be one of the most important days of your life, young students, and I expect you to act the part. He imitated the director's voice, earning himself a soft laugh from Tyrion, eyes crinkling just above his scarf as he glanced at Zev, and leaving a warm feeling to bubble quietly in his chest. He was rather full of himself, wasn't he? Tyrion agreed with some amusement, though, considering the circumstances, he glanced back out the window. Not exactly wrong, he admitted. I'm surprised he hasn't had a heart attack from all the stress by the time we come back, Zev quipped, earning himself another stifled snort. Can you imagine him having to deal with all this? He doesn't have the disposition for it, Tyrion noted with some amusement. I think we'll find that the crisis management hasn't gone over with them all that terribly well. Something abruptly sobered in Tyrion's demeanor, shoulders slumping and laugh lines disappearing as he sighed. I just hope that it won't be of detriment to the victims of the attack, he murmured. There was so much blood in the buffet hall alone after those bombs went off. I'm sure that the other authorities at the scene will have taken over command. He reassured the Aaron gently. Your mother and father probably would have taken over in order to care for their people, yes? At Tyrion's reluctant nod, he forged on. And then there's Lord Vader and all his people. If your parents haven't taken charge, he probably has. They'll probably have noticed our absences by now, too, so they might even be looking for us. Or they think they just haven't identified the bodies yet, Tyrion noted glumly. I know, he comforted and was relieved to see what seemed to be a small smile flashed his way. The scarves made it hard to tell, though. He'll be giving them a hell of a surprise if that's the case, huh? he noted, before switching over to a more mischievous grin that Tyrion finally seemed to notice. I can already imagine my dad's face, he began gleefully, earning himself a small snort. Oh, no, Tyrion muttered in amusement. Oh, yes, he shot back drawing himself up and affecting his dad's baritone. Son, where the hell have you been? Do you know how much trouble you're in? What do you mean you didn't instantly die the moment shit went sideways? Who told you you were allowed to be marginally competent in emergency scenarios? You don't have the training for that. Tyrion pressed a hand over his scarf, seemingly by force of habit to hide his grin, and his shoulders shook with stifled laughter. Zav grinned himself and so continued adding a few gestures into the mix for good measure. You're grounded for a year. What do you mean I can't ground you because you're an adult with a job? Just watch me do it. Maybe you'll finally wise up and get a military career instead of this legal nonsense. Oh, no, Tyrion giggled. Oh, he sounds like a really interesting man. Oh, he is, Zev assured him. Never did approve of my desire to get a career in law and politics, Honestly, I think that if Luke hadn't come along, I would have ended up just where he wanted me, in the army and thoroughly miserable. Zev sighed, 
attempted to run a hand through his hair, but stopping the moment his fingers touched the fabric of the hood. He seems to have loosened up on that a bit. But if I had to take a guess, it's because he simply doesn't have the political, legal, or military clout needed to protest Luke hiring me with the backing of Lord Vader. If it had been anyone else, it would have been either straight into comp force with me, or I would have had to flee to the opposite end of the galaxy to finally get some peace and quiet. Tyrion chuckled before looking at him curiously. I guess so we've got the exact mirror issues, then. You've got the family tradition that you don't want, and I have a family tradition that can't fit. He nodded quietly, and yeah, Zev could see that. Looks like we're both going out to find out how to navigate that nebulous future then, huh? Zev muttered. I wonder who we'll become. People worthy of inheriting it, I hope, Tyrion answered quietly. Zev snorted. If I could drink to that, I would, he told Tyrion quietly, grinning wide when it earned him another laugh. Forrest, the air really did smile far too little to have such a warm and bright laugh. Well now, another voice said in amusement, coming up behind them, and Zev sighed as he turned to look at Quinn. Sounds like you two are having something of a party. There's the room for one more? Uh, two, a rather unwelcome voice corrected, as Alan stepped out from behind Quinn, prompting his friends to glare at the guy. Is there room for two more? Well, I didn't invite you now, did I, your highness? Quinn snapped at Alan. And that had to be a trick of the light, but for a moment Zev swore that Alan looked... Dismayed? It had to be a trick of the light, though, because in the next moment all he could see was a glare in those eyes. Perhaps not, but I wasn't about to disturb those three. Alan jerked his head over to where Zariah, Val, and Lachmiel were all holding a quiet conversation in a language Zev had no hope of deciphering, smiling in a way that spoke of something grand and deep, all of them occasionally glancing over to Luke. Or him, he finished, gesturing over to where Luke was quietly dozing away, Nothing giving away whether he had finally succumbed to sleep, or was still keeping silent watch over them all while resting. So you decided to disturb us instead? he asked frostily while considering the prince carefully. Yes, the prince admitted before shaking his head. No, maybe I... he sighed. And by this point Zev's eyebrows had well and truly disappeared into his hairline, and it looked like he wasn't the only one. I would... Appreciate being allowed to join you, Alan tried again, and that was honestly just... What the hell were they supposed to make of that? Quinn apparently didn't seem to know and just silently stared for a moment before sitting down next to Tyrion without another word spoken, staring and glancing at the prince with eyes narrowed in suspicion. Alan seemed to take that as silent permission, or at least a sign that they wouldn't be able to stop him, and sat down next to Zev, keeping his eyes averted from the rest while they all studied him with wary suspicion, Zev being no exception. Alon had been odd these last few hours. He'd been odd throughout the entirety of the journey from what Zev could see, really, but he'd largely tacked that up to the promise they'd all made not to fight, and the fact that the prince had apparently lost someone rather important to him in the bombing. That still didn't take away that there was something strange going on with him that smacked of something beyond grief and unsettledness. There had been that moment just after the drunkard's attempted assault, where the prince had been clearly shaken from his proud little pedestal above all of them, but there seems to be a tacit agreement between the rest of them that they would all pretend like they'd never seen Alun in such an unwillingly vulnerable state, 
or rather there would have been such an agreement if Elan hadn't continued to act strange afterwards, albeit more subtly. It was honestly just odd, and it made for a very uncomfortable atmosphere in their little booth as no one seemed to be inclined to start a conversation with the prince present. Discomfort stretched into awkwardness, and eventually even Elan seemed to feel it as he fidgeted in place before sighing. Instead of getting up and moving to a different booth, however, he opened his mouth and began to speak. It's come to my attention that I have been unfair to you all, that is. Alan mumbled under his breath. Sev blinked. What? Alan shifted uncomfortably, still refusing to look anyone in the eyes, wrapping his arms around himself. And I would like to apologize for that. What? I'm not... I'm not entirely sure of all that I've done wrong, but I... Alan breathed in deeply and straightened his spine, turning to face them all head on. But I apologize for the insult I have given, he continued, sounding a lot more steady and sure of himself, even as it left Zev reeling. And I apologize for my previous behavior. Holy shit. He stared at Alun for a good long while before finally realizing that he was literally staring slack-jawed. Closing his mouth hard enough that his teeth clicked, he blinked as he parsed what had just happened. Had Alun actually... Did he actually... Is this... Is this a joke? Quinn asked. And Zev was grateful to see that his friend was feeling just as unbalanced as he was, clearly off-kilter from this whatever it was. Trust me, this would be a lot more easier and more comfortable for me if it was, Alan deadpanned before breathing deeply again. Unfortunately, it seems I really was. He paused, opening his mouth a couple of times before finally spitting it out. Wrong. In my choice of how to treat you. He breathed it out again. And a prince doesn't run from his mistakes. Apparently he was. He really didn't know how to handle that. Had anyone like this ever apologized to him before? What did he do in this situation? What? Are you fucking kidding me with this shit? Quinn blurted out all of a sudden, and Zev's eyes snapped over to his friend, only to find him downright boiling with rage. You come in here and say that and just expect us to accept that, you little... Enough, Quinn. A voice suddenly said that made Zev freeze up. Eyes snapping over to the figure he'd thought sleeping until only a moment ago. Luke, who was very clearly not sleeping, was looking at them all with a half-witted gaze from where he was leaning back against his seat, somehow managing to still exude absolute authority despite looking like he'd only just woken up from a nap. Zev shivered at the way those blue, terrifying blue eyes raked over all of them before sighing, with a movement that somehow perfectly managed to convey exasperated grace, Luke rose up out of his seat and beckoned them over. All of you, he commanded easily. With me, Lakmir, Valmora, Zariah, you three stay where you are. Snapping his gaze over to where the three others had been sitting, Zev felt heat rush to his cheeks when he saw that all three of Luke's former charges were looking at them with open amusement. Val even winked at them all before inclining her head in Luke's direction, who was impatiently waiting for them, arms crossed and posture somehow both distinctly annoyed and authoritative, like a disappointed parent or teacher you looked up to. 
and Zev felt himself flush all the way to his ears as he sheepishly stood up with all the rest of them to follow Luke to wherever he deemed it necessary for them to go. Feeling a lot like a kid who'd just been caught with his hand in the cookie jar, for no good reason he might add, he'd done nothing wrong, he trudged after Luke alongside the rest of his friends and Alun, who just had to go and make things difficult beyond belief. They were directed by Luke into one of the very back-end booths, left to sort out their own seating arrangement while the runner leaned back against the opposite booth's table, arms still crossed. When all of them had silently shuffled into their seats, Luke gave them all a long look, made worse by the frankly imposing figure he cut in the black cloak and dark mask that shattered his face into something severe and almost threatening. Zev found that he couldn't even hold two seconds of it before he was looking down at the table in intimidated embarrassment, although over what he didn't know. All right, Luke said with a sigh. I've been keeping an eye on you all while you tried to figure yourselves out, so let's skip me asking what happens to get Quinn to nearly break his vow again and immediately jump to the part where we discuss this like calm, rational adults. If it was meant as a subtle reprimand of Quinn, it certainly was effective, as his friend promptly ducked his head and blushed a furious red. First of all, Luke began, leaning back a little from where he'd propped himself up against the table edge. Corey. Before Zev could spend the next ten minutes figuring out who the hell Corey was, Alon promptly perked up at the name, and his brain helpfully short-circuited itself as it failed to process the fact that Cormus Alon apparently answered to Corey. Okay, no, he could actually see how that might happen, but the sheer fact that Alon tolerated it was still... It was something. Mentally slapping himself back into focus, he was relieved he did when he nearly missed the next part of Luke's sentence. I'm incredibly proud of you, he finished with a smile so warm that Zev wondered if it carried some of the warmth of the desert he'd come from with it. It was incredibly brave what you did and definitely showed some courage. Alan unsurprisingly smiled under the praise, but it was the sincere happiness with which he did it that completely caught Zev off guard. And that was not the smug, haughty smirk he'd come to know and hate coming from Alan. Thank you, he said sincerely, bowing his head to Luke, and damn it seemed that his boss even had Alan dancing to his tune now. Luke smiled for a moment before sinking back into the almost threatening but exasperated severity that he displayed nearly constantly since the beginning of all this. That does leave us with the fallout, though, and you're all going to work through that now, while we're still in a relatively controlled and safe environment, rather than later, when we may potentially have to make our way through hostile territory. Is that clear to all of you? Yes, sir, he mumbled along with the rest. And he hadn't felt this small and chastised since he was fourteen and had gotten caught sneaking out by his parents. Good. Luke tilted his chin down a little, and the brow of the mask really didn't help how those eyes seemed to stare into their souls. Now then, first matters first. Do you all accept Corey's apology? Would you? Quinn shot back. And Zev winced as he almost physically felt his friend make that misstep. Sir... He added on after a beat. Luke leveled an entirely unimpressed look that had Quinn wilting into his seat before bluntly answering, Yes. Perhaps he should have expected that. He chewed the inside of his lip before deciding that the risk would be worth it. Why? 
he asked quietly, carefully, trying not to set the irate runner off with the maw and end up looking like an idiot. He shouldn't have worried. Luke huffed out a breath and offered him a soft smile that reminded him of the person that laid below this visage and demeanor of a ruthless operative. Because really, what would I stand to gain by not accepting it? Luke asked gently. I won't lie and say that what Corey did didn't cause pain and hurt with what he said earlier today, and I know it's probably still fresh, too, but is there really anything you stand to gain by keeping a grudge here? That was an oddly pragmatic view on the situation that he honestly should have expected from Luke now that he thought about it, and it revealed another glaring issue in this all. You think we're all being childish and petty over this, don't you, sir? He realized with a resigned sigh. Not really, Luke denied. And at least he seems to be honest about that. But I do think some prioritization and perspective is in order. Corey hurt you guys with the things he said. I'm not arguing that. Nor am I arguing that you don't have a right to be angry with him, but... He hesitated for a moment, mulling over the words before sighing. I don't want to say they were just words, since, well, they obviously caused damage. But between having hurtful things said about you by someone else, who, frankly speaking, barely seemed to know, and a group of murderous individuals who have no qualms about chasing us down with lethal force and don't care about collateral, Luke shrugged. I would say that there are greater evils in the world than being a bully. Sorry, Corey, but you were. Who didn't think twice before opening his mouth, and that your anger and contempt is better spent on your active antagonists than the ones who apologized and want to move on. He was really beginning to have a love-hate relationship with the moments where Luke imparted wisdom to them. He glanced over to Alun, who seemed to be trying his best to melt away into the background, posture and what little of his face that was visible, flawlessly telegraphing his utter humiliation in the face of Luke's words, and yet seemingly resigned acceptance of them. So we're just supposed to forgive him, sir? Sev asked, and, well, he didn't know what to think about that. Not if you don't want to. Luke answered with a shrug. You don't even have to accept his apology if you don't want to. I'm not here to tell you how you should feel about this or what your reaction should be beyond that it should still be in keeping with the vows you all made to me. His eyes flashed as a sudden sense of seriousness dropped back down over the proceedings. But what I am telling you is not to let your hurt and instincts rule you in this decision on whether or not to accept it. He continued quietly, dangerously, and Zev instinctively sat up straight. I'm telling you to breathe. Take a moment. Examine the situation in its entirety. Examine your own emotions. And really ask yourself whether or not it's worth it to hold on to a grudge. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But you need to take the time to examine which of the two it is. He sighed, closing his eyes for a moment before looking back down on them with half-lidded eyes. After that, well, all I can say is that you need to be able to live with your decision. Nothing more. Yeah, no, Luke absolutely thought that this whole thing was petty and childish. Didn't matter what he said now. Zav could already tell that he was not impressed having to give them this mini-lecture on how to handle an apology and grudges and introspection. Honestly, he was beginning to see why Luke was so annoyed with the proceedings of this. If it helps... Alan quietly piped up, barely above a whisper. I really do apologize for the hurt. 
Zav looked over to find the prince staring at the tabletop, looking just as chastised and embarrassed as the rest of them, and he had to wonder what kind of grudges the prince had been holding on to that he now found wanting. I didn't... He shook his head. I suppose that doesn't matter now, he muttered. But I stand by my words nonetheless. That was... well... Zev breathed deeply. He didn't know what to do with this situation, exactly, but Luke's advice was as good as any to apply, really. Was it worth it? What had Alon really done to him beyond being an insufferable, smug little bastard? He'd harassed him when practically the entire school had done so, rubbing salt in the wounds and not helping in the slightest with how he'd felt back then. Though admittedly he'd been able to get some of his own back in that confrontation— He'd tried again this morning in the exhibition and admittedly pushed some rather sensitive buttons, both for him and the others, but Luke had cut him down to size rather quickly, both times, if he recalled correctly. Not to mention that the events of today seemed to have knocked the holier-than-thou attitude down a good couple of pegs. He felt a headache coming on as he sorted through the rest of his emotions and conceded that this day could, in fact, apparently get weirder. I can't believe I'm saying this, to be honest, he muttered while rubbing one of his temples as he looked up. But, apology accepted, Alan, just try not to be an arsehole in the future, yeah? He asked tiredly. Or I'll have to re-examine that statement. In an unexpected move, Alan's eyes crinkled slightly at the corners with a hidden smile, grin. I'll make note of those spectacularly detailed instructions, yes. He snarked, and yeah, that was definitely a grin. Strangely enough, he didn't feel as annoyed by that realization as he probably should. I'll accept too, Tyrion added. On one condition, Zev blinked at the soft but strong edge in Tyrion's tone, like sharpened steel wrapped in silk. But the next sentence made it clear why. Don't you ever again use that against me. I want to forgive it the second time. There didn't need to be any clarification about what Tyrion meant, but something warmed in him to see that the air was capable of spitting this kind of vitriol. Evidently, the events of the day hadn't impacted only Elan in a strange but favorable way. Whoo! Quinn cheered, clapping loudly. Way to stand up, Tyr! Shush, Luke admonished with a grin. Although I do agree, he added with a wink to Tyrion. Confidence is a good look for you. As expected, Tyrion promptly lost what little nerve he had to blush fire red and stammer out a thank you, but really, who could blame him? One step at a time, he supposed, as he grinned at his friend bumping into Tyrion's side. Alun seemed to be considering it for a minute, or was stunned, or something, but he eventually seemed to come back to his senses and dipped his head. Agreed. Then apology accepted. Tyrion returned primly, trying to get his composure back in order, even as what little was visible of his face was still a fetching shade of red. Zev glanced over to Quinn, and so did Luke, who gave him a pointed look and a raised eyebrow that he was impressed his friend could withstand for what was almost three whole seconds before he gave in. Now what the heck, Quinn sighed, glancing sideways to Alun. If the other two accept after the shit you pulled, then I'm into. Apology accepted, but if you ever do it again, I'll kick your ass. After, 
your vow dissolves, Luke added pointedly, and Quinn sheepishly nodded, earning himself a soft smile from Luke. But I am glad this issue has been resolved. Now then, he said, pushing himself off of the table edge, I take it that I can expect you all to work out any further details without my assistance. Further details, sir? Tyrion asked, barely keeping his voice steady but still managing rather admirably. Like what this means for any interpersonal relationships between you all, Luke provided handily, smiling mysteriously, whether you're friendly acquaintances, friends, or something else, but I can't help you there. That's something for you to figure. He froze mid-sentence, and the air followed suit like it had been dipped in liquid nitrogen. Soft and friendly eyes sharpened into flints of icy steel as his head whipped around towards the front of the train, tracking something none of them could see. Loose posture shifting into something downright predatory. The air shivered like the warning rattle of a snake, and images ghosted through Zev's mind of a midday sun dimmed red as the sky darkens to night, the wind howling as ozone stung at his nose. And for a moment he could have sworn Luke's eyes glowed in the darkness cast by his hood. Sir, he asked quietly. Nearly breathing the word as a sudden onset of fear nearly strangled him. Hostiles, Luke replied, clipped and direct and shattering every last sense of safety that had permeated the train. Dead ahead. I don't know exactly how far out, but there's at least a dozen of them, probably more. He paused for a moment, and Zev didn't think anyone even dared breathe in those moments. They're going to try and stop the train, he suddenly said utterly assured of his own statement, and Zev swallowed heavily. What do we do? he asked, hands drifting down to his holster nearly without thought. Luke was silent for a long moment, jaw working as his eyes stayed fixed on some far-off point. I need to speak with Crosshair, he eventually said, before raising his voice, stalking through the coop. All of you, hide under the tables and stay out of sight. Do not reappear until either I return or it becomes necessary to save your lives. If hostiles enter this car and I haven't given the all clear, you're free to use your weapons at your own judgment. He turns towards the three second-time charges seated in the front. Lakmir Valmora Zarai, you're all in charge until I come back or if I don't come back, he ordered. And if I don't come back, continue to head for city center and surrender to any stormtroopers you see wearing pseudo-armor. Zev, he suddenly ordered. Whirling around, and Zev abruptly straightened up, standing to attention and saluting sharply on instinct. If it comes to that, I expect you to use your connections to your father and the vow I got out of Vader to get those troopers to cooperate and bring you to a garrison. Tyrion, you two, throw your weight around if necessary, but get to safety at all costs. Are these orders clear? Yes, sir, they all echoed. Then what are you all doing standing there? Luke snapped back. Get under those tables! They promptly scrambled to get under the tables, found that there was too little room for all four of them under one table, and promptly had to scramble to get themselves situated two by two under the tables of the two adjacent booths. By the time Zev thought to peek out again, Luke had already disappeared, not even a whisper marking his departure, and only his own words reassuring Zev that the runner had merely gone off to meet with Crosshair out front, instead of disappearing into thin air. A tense silence set him within the coop, thick enough that it threatened to choke them all out before the mercs would even get their chance, and Zev thumbed the pistol in his holster nervously. It was a sturdy thing, obviously a good quality made for heavy use, and as he slipped his thumb over it, he could feel the small abrasions of scratches and dents under his finger, indicating that it had seen much of that heavy use. 
This was a weapon that was used to battle far more than he certainly was. He was a crack shot with the training he'd gotten from his dad, but he was also painfully aware of how green he was when it came to actual combat. He'd never seen a real fight in his life, and frankly, he'd hoped to never see one in his life. Who even knew how his marksmanship would fare under pressure? Who even knew how he would fare should the worst come to pass and Luke never return? Force, why did Luke have to raise that possibility? Think he'll come back? Tyrion asked quietly and it seemed he wasn't the only one asking those questions. Sure he will, he replied with a confidence he didn't feel. You've seen what he's capable of. I'm sure it was just precautionary measures. Detailed precautionary measures, Tyrion retorted in a murmur, looking even more downtrodden and Zev and a wince. Yeah, the detail with which Luke had arranged their escape should he fall along the way was not... It wasn't encouraging, to put it that way. But at least it gave them something to work with, should he... Should he die? It was probably a bad sign that he almost wished they didn't have it, just so he wouldn't have to think about it, which was probably why Luke was in charge of this flight and not him, and probably also why he left the three second-time charges in well charge, should he... Zev sighed and settled in, drawing Tyrion's smaller form underneath himself and covering the young heir with his own cloak, hopefully concealing them even further underneath the small table. It'll work out, he muttered, not entirely convinced himself, but hoping. You'll see. Luke can do damn near anything he puts his mind to. He hoped to whatever was listening, storm patron or otherwise, that he was right. More tense moments passed, and the dread in the air grew thicker and thicker until nothing remained besides the rumbling of the train and the deep darkness outside, only occasionally broken up by the dull flashes of the emergency lights along the walls. It made it all the more obvious when something finally did shift. Furrowing his brow, he began to listen intently to the whine of the engines that hummed throughout the train, and he could swear that the pitch was subtly sharpening. Then he felt it, in his stomach and soon over his whole body, an increase of pressure that dragged him ever so slightly towards the back of the train, and suddenly he knew it for certain. They were speeding up. Seems that Sir managed to get to cross here after all, Quinn muttered from the opposite end of the footpath. Gotta wonder what the plan'll be like. Hopefully we never find out, he replied, eyeing the way the flashes outside the window began to increase in frequency and the humming of the engines reached a fever pitch. As if summoned by their conversation, the connecting doors between the locomotive and the coupe slammed hard only a few moments later, the bang resonating through the air. Not even a moment after that, the door to the foyer flew open as Luke strode in, cloak billowing out behind him as his eyes seemed to blaze within the hollows of the mask. Everyone, get your weapons ready, he snapped. You can come out from under the table, but stay low and out of sight. We're moving towards the back. Sir, he called while unholstering his weapon, something which he honestly had hoped it would never come to. What's going on? It seems our illustrious enemies have taken over the Old South Station as either a checkpoint or a base or something of the sort. Since we're approaching fast, it's likely that they'll try to waylay us in some manner if they expect our arrival, Luke summed up, helping Lackmere unfold herself out from under her table with quick, snapping movements. I had a discussion with Crosshair. I, he'd leveraged his weight until the old coot had conceded if Zev had to guess, and we both managed to come to an agreement that stopping when they order us to isn't an option. Whatever they've got set up there, Crosshair is going to increase the speed and see if we can't just bull rush our way through. Holy shit. And if we can't, 
Alon suddenly asked, tense with nerves as he crawled out from under the table. That's why we're moving to the back of the train, Luke responded, making a few quick gestures of inquiry to Lackmere to check on her status and receiving the all-clear. That and the fact that if they give chase, we'll need to defend it. So unholster your weapons, handle them safely, stay low and follow me. This could get ugly. Without another word wasted, Luke promptly herded them all together and wrenched open the door separating their coop from the one directly behind them. Immediately a gust of wind rushed inside, flaring Luke's cloak wide and chilling them all to the touch. The sound of the wheels rushing over the rails swelled into a cacophony, and Luke wrenched the heavy door open and held it in place, revealing three interlocking strips of sheet metal pockmarked with anti-slip texture, shifting over each other with every shift and twist of the train. That, and the tracks rushing past at speeds too fast to comprehensively see, with the wheels screeching like it was demons pulling the train forward instead of machine power as the speed increased. Well, Luke shouted over the noise, cloak flaring wide in the wind like wings in flight. Get moving! Right, they had to keep moving forwards. Swallowing down his nerves and stealing his resolve, Zev nodded as he stepped out onto the shifting underground, keeping his feet far apart in order to stabilize himself against the jolts of the train. The door handle was cold and heavy under his grip, scratched and chipped, but he pulled it hard to the side, the mechanism underneath shrieking out its protest at the treatment, but the lock released and the door slid aside. Stumbling into the next coop, he tried to keep a grip on the cool metal growing slippery with the condensing perspiration of his hands, barely managing it, but managing it nonetheless. The others quickly stumbled through after them, and when Luke darted through, he released both the door and an explosive breath that had built up inside his chest while straining against the door. And there was no time to rest, though, and Luke was already dashing through the coop like a man possessed to reach the next door in record time while they haphazardly stumbled after him. For all intents and purposes, the coupe looked much the same as the one they'd stayed in. The same synth-leather seats, the same hard wooden interior, the same glow-sphere lights embedded into the gilded ornamentations, and yet somehow there was an air of danger within this coupe that hadn't been present within the other as Luke rushed through it, Zev trying to keep up as best he could and finding himself struggling to, despite having longer legs. In the end, it didn't matter. Before the runner's hand could even touch the next door handle, a blazing light erupted through the dimmed coop, and Zev squinted his eyes as he tossed an arm over his face to protect against the glare. In a few seconds his eyes had adjusted, and he stared at what he found outside the window. Outside, with light streaming in through the window, a whole station had manifested itself. Wrought metal and elegant polished stone loomed like giants all around as the train shot through the cavernous station like a blaster bolt, but still not fast enough to conceal the presence of dark figures stationed outside, and for a split second, Zev could swear that he locked eyes with one of them. Then the moment was broken, as an almighty jolt shook the whole train like a bomb had gone off, and Zev was thrown down to the floor. Pain shot through his right shoulder, and he hissed through his teeth as he tried to refocus his sight that had briefly gone blurry from the hit, though he was tentatively sure that he at least hadn't hit his head. The world came back into focus with a few shakes of his head and some blinking, and glancing around, he saw that he hadn't been the only one who had his legs swept out from under him. "'Is everyone all right?' Luke called out. And Zev was almost annoyed to see that the runner had managed to keep his feet under him and was quickly striding over to start helping them up. Accepting the outstretched hand, Zev allowed himself to be hauled to his feet, swaying slightly before he regained his balance. Fine, I think, 
he answered, shaking his head again. What the hell was that, sir? I think that would be whatever the hunters had placed upon the tracks, forcibly being relocated by the train, Luke replied, as he quickly helped both Tyrion and Quinn to their feet. It seems that aside from the jolt, we're still traveling along at a rapid pace, so I'd say that whatever they put there wasn't enough by a long shot. With a bit of luck, the flying debris will have taken out more than a couple of them, too. Fate would be laughing if it had, Zev thought with a grimly satisfied smile. After the stuff they'd pulled in the buffet hall, the mercs were long overdue a taste of their own medicine, and their own attempts at derailing a train backfiring like it had? That would be poetic justice indeed. Serves them right, Alan echoed his sentiments darkly, and while perhaps he should have second thoughts on that sentiment if Alan echoed it, no matter that it was technically supposed to be cool between them now. We'll see, Luke replied, glancing around before retracing his paces back to the door. We have no idea if they can or will give pursuit, so if no one has sustained any concussions or broken bones in that fall, we're back on track to the last locomotive. Yes, sir, they chorused, obediently lining back up again behind Luke as he wrenched the second door open, and this time Zev was wise enough to let Lackmere head out in front of him to handle the next door. Just because he could didn't mean he wanted to or should. In bare seconds, Lackmere had the door open and they were stumbling in through the doorway, and Zev abruptly froze as he looked around the place. Dials and gauges, switches and levers, gleaming brass and silver steel, polished and lacquered wood. The whole inside of the locomotive was a maze of fine tubing, delicate glass reaction chambers and cases, and all kinds of bells and whistles that he frankly couldn't even begin to untangle and decipher. What in the forced be damned name of... Quim muttered while looking around. What is this? I think, Luke replied thoughtfully, looking around. Sons, I think this is steam-powered. What? Excuse me, he sputtered. What even... Sir, are you seriously suggesting these things use a technology several dozens of millennia out of date? Not in the original form, obviously, Luke waved off as he walked over to the control panel, gliding a hand along some of the tubing before stopping at a gauge. Sons, no, whoever built this was mad, but not that mad. But if I'm not mistaken... This is a rather unique hybridization of steam and electric power, judging by the components and gauges present here. It would certainly explain why these engines lasted for as long as they did. With proper maintenance, I can see these locomotives easily lasting another two and a half millennia. He hummed as he ran a hand over the rest of the machinery. Although I dare say that perhaps the reason the technology didn't become more commonplace is that I can already see how this would induce a rather steep learning curve. That was a lot of information and words that Zev didn't know what to do with in the moment. He just... Well, he didn't think that it was too much to expect that the engines ran on a technology not stemming back to approximately the dawn of history. Even with Luke's reassurances, it didn't make him any more comfortable as he stared at the mess of dials and gauges. Honestly, it's a rather elegant system, Luke opined as he dug deeper into the guts of said system, kneeling down and popping open a grating covering something that seemed rather important while peering inside. Not designed to do much beyond create power from raw materials, obviously, but the simplicity has something about it. I'm not going to lie. Sir, Quinn said, sounding just as shaken as Zev felt. What are you doing? Hmm? Luke looked up for a second before something seemed to click into place again. Right, my apologies. He popped the cover back into place, dotted off his hands, and straightened back up. Fascination exchanged for a far more severe demeanor that, ironically enough, eased some of Zev's worries. Let me open up the shutters and we'll get a look at what's going on outside of here. 
Stunned silent while watching the runner do his thing, Zev had to wonder if that had really just happened, and they really were stuck on a vehicle that was running on a form of power that archaeologists were pretty sure had fallen out of favor by the time people first entered space, regardless of species. He closed his eyes, took several deep breaths, repeated very firmly to himself that it wasn't his problem, Luke was responsible for their safety and he wasn't worried, and that it wasn't his problem, and that ancient didn't mean unsafe, and that it wasn't his problem, and opened them again, feeling marginally more centered than just a moment earlier. Just in time, too, as Luke had apparently found what he was looking for, and with the twist of the handle, the heavy shutters in front of the windows began to roll up, segment by segment sliding back and revealing more of the outside world. He almost wished they hadn't. They'd long since passed through the station, that much was clear, but by contrast, the tunnels they were in seemed to be both older, wider, and better lit than the ones that they'd been in for the majority of the ride so far. It also meant that they could see further back. Luke crossed his arms over his chest and glared at the still distant but rapidly encroaching figures that they could spot in the distance. Amorphous blobs surrounding pinprick headlights that were steadily growing in size despite the train's speed. Ladies, gents, and honors, Luke announced mildly. It seems that we've acquired ourselves a tale. Sir, I say this with all possible respect, Quinn retorted steadily while staring out the window frozen in place. No shit. Luke snorted, and when he turned with his arms still neatly crossed over his chest, Zev had to marvel at how calm he looked concerning the situation. It looks like we'll have to defend ourselves from our pursuers and dig in for a siege until such a time that we can lose them. We have a few moments at most to prepare, so listen up. Zev promptly stood to attention, and he wasn't the only one. Yes, sir, he replied, and really... If there was ever a time that was more appropriate for that response, he couldn't think of it. A fight is unavoidable at this point, Luke announced like he was commenting on the weather, utterly unbothered and frankly sounding almost annoyed at the prospect, like he couldn't believe these people would have the audacity to ruin a perfectly horrible day with trying to kill them some more. Which means that, unfortunately, due to the way we're positioned and the nature of our situation, we'll have to hold the line and are afforded no retreat. He looked them all over for a moment, taking a few steps forward, and for a moment Zev could almost see an air around Luke of a commander inspecting his troops and deciding they would have to do. Anyone who either can't, doesn't want to, or doesn't feel confident fighting, I will ask you to join Crosshair in the frontal locomotive, Luke continued, head swiveling smoothly and the light dancing over the lacquer of the mask, highlighting how dangerously his eyes hardened from the usual soft summer sky. There are contingencies in place with Crosshair, so should the situation get dire, he will decouple however many segments are needed in order to distract our pursuers and increase speed. He'll be safe at the engine, though, and there's neither shame nor blame in choosing that path. If you know your own limits, I would rather that you admit to them now than that they be the death of you in the coming fight. This isn't about bravery, cowardice, or any kind of attempt at proving yourself. This is about survival and death. The runner came to a halt in front of them, framed by rapidly growing pinpricks of light dawning out of the gloom, and Zev had to correct himself. Not a commander inspecting his troops. A runner preparing to make a stand, potentially a last one. All in their defense. I ask you to make your choice now, he didn't ask, but commanded quietly. I need to make what little preparation I can with the time left. Zev pressed his lips together under his scarf and considered the options left in front of him. 
He didn't want to fight. Force, he really didn't. It was the entire reason he'd thrown his lot in with Luke in the first place, a simple desk job that perhaps wouldn't be anything as glorious as battle or politics or what have you, but that meant he wouldn't have to fight for... for something he didn't believe in. For something that didn't care whether he believed in it or not. But he believed in this. I'll fight. I'll fight, he said. Stepping forward almost before he'd even fully realized he'd made the choice. I'll fight, sir he repeated. And he found that it was the truth. He didn't believe in the Empire. He wasn't sure he believed in any of the rebels either. But he believed in Luke. He didn't want to fight, but he would. For Luke, he would. I'll give it a shot too, sir, Quinn said, stepping forward much like Zev had and hefting the carbine. Quite literally too, he added with a grin and a wink. If you think I'll be left out of this, you have another thing coming, sir. Along crabbily added, checking the magazine of his pistol, and yeah, that was more like the old lun he'd come to know and tolerate. I know we don't look like much next to you, sir, Tyrion supplied quietly, folding his hand around his pistol and standing it ready. But we are trained, even if only a little. We'll fight if you tell us to, and we know how to follow orders, even beyond the oath we took. There was something pained about the smile Luke gave them all, like he almost wished they weren't. But if he thought anything of that stripe, he didn't say it, instead turning silently to face the three former charges, clearly expecting an answer. The three exchanged glances, and a grin was shared amongst them before Val stepped forward. Wraith, she said, grinning wide and shaking her head slightly. We would have fought for the very first time if we could. Luke returned the smile before his eyes sharpened into shards of ice. Very well, then, he muttered. As you say. Zariah. The Turgruda straightened up and snapped to attention as best she could. Yes, Wraith. Do you have any ranged weaponry on you? Luke asked urgently, turning around to face the pinpricks of light that had already come close enough to turn the balls, revealing the hover bikes that they were attached to and the shadowy figures on top of them. Anything that could be of use? No, she answered immediately. I have a stumbaton with me, but that's all. I wasn't expecting this when I packed a weapon. Then head for Crosshair. Walking over to two of the front side windows and wrenching at their openings mechanism, help him out with what you know and keep this train running. Alun, Tyrion, your weapons are built with the shortest effective range. Head for the car behind this door and open up two windows, I don't care how. Pick off any hostiles that manage to slip by us. Like me or Quinn, your weapons have the longest range. Luke promptly popped one of the windows open, air flooding into the room in a violent wind. Take up position at these and start firing now. Quinn wasted no time to scramble for the opening, barely pausing to salute sharply before he'd positioned himself half lying down on the machinery, upper torso sticking out of the front of the train and already taking aim with the barrel. Not even seconds later, the first shot of the fight had been fired and one of the lights swerved wildly as it dodged around it, running straight into Lakmir's own shot, who hadn't bothered with any of this nonsense, and simply ripped the window open herself, already taking aim again at the next light. Luke smiled and nodded grimly, before making a sharp gesture that sent the other three off on their way. Zev, Valmora, he ordered sharply, once the trio was inside the other coop. Zev straightened up ready to receive his orders and carry out whatever would be required of him. He had a pretty good idea of what it would be anyways. With both their respective weapons being a heavy pistol, they were best. 
You two will be joining me on the roof of the train to help throw these guys a curveball or three. Now where he thought, apparently. Excuse me, sir? He squeaked, growing cold all over. The roof? Yes, the roof, Luke repeated impatiently. It's not usual, I know, but you're going to have to trust me here. Swallowing deeply and trying to tamp down his sudden flash of fear, he nodded. He could do heights and climbing in precarious places. He'd crawled all over the outside of the academy and the rooftops of the red stones with little to no problems. It wasn't the heights here that scared him, but the whole traveling at extreme speeds while getting shot at part was another beast entirely. He breathed deeply, shook off his fear with a sharp reminder that he'd chosen this and that he'd chosen to trust Luke and nodded firmly. Ready it will, sir. That's enough, Fowl told him with a wink. I'm sure that the Wraith won't let you take a tumble. It's the potential bolts that concern me more, he answered hollowly, and Val winced and nodded. It'd be all right, she tried to reassure him, but he recognized the exact same kind of confidence in her voice that he'd given Tyrion only moments earlier, which was to say, false confidence. It didn't exactly inspire it like the real deal did. Thankfully, Luke seemed to have the ladder in spades large enough for the both of them. I'll defend you both as best I can, he confirmed while striding back over to the door, wrenching the handle aside and pausing only when it was fully opened, wind rippling through his cloak and hair alike as the hood barely hung onto his head. Shoulders squared and spine straight while his eyes gleamed in the dark of the mask, Zev could honestly say that he looked like a hero at the moment, one right from the storybooks. I promise, he added quietly, and yeah, this definitely wasn't doing his crush any favors. Why couldn't he get the normal, somewhat but not awful, but kind of is boss that most of the galaxy seemed to have? Why did he have to get the dashing hero? Force this was going to be such an inconvenience. Quietly resigning himself to following this utter madman into the jaws of death and hoping that Luke would be able to help them from biting down, Zev followed his runner out and onto the train. Bracing himself against the howling winds, Zev glanced to the side to find Luke already clambering up the precariously narrow maintenance ladder. He sighed and told himself that at least this time it was a metal one instead of a rope ladder, and much shorter than the fire escape ladder of the safe house. He was still on a moving train at top speed, though, so he guessed that he couldn't win them all. With a distinct sense of deja vu, he scaled the side of the train and scrambled his way up to the roof, which, thankfully, had acquired a coating of grime from the centuries which may not appear to be particularly fortuitous, but considering it added a rough coating to the metal that made for easy grip, it was a whole heck of a lot better than the alternative. Scrambling up the ladder, he threw his torso onto the roof and breathed a sigh of relief when he saw that it was built at only a slight slope, allowing them to clamber their way across it without much issue. He stayed low and nearly crawled along the ground, bracing himself against the swaying and jolting of the train, which wasn't exactly as glamorous as Luke just casually strolling over to the edge, back straight and cloak billowing in the wind as he kneeled down with all the elegance of someone who wasn't standing on top of a jolting train with gale-force winds, but then he wasn't Luke, and he wasn't fool enough to try and copy someone who was capable of navigating rooftops with the grace and flair of a dancer. Val fared a bit better than he did, at least and she managed to keep herself mostly stable while joining Luke, kneeling down beside him while Zev took the other side, overlooking the tracks behind him as blaster bolts flashed below, and frankly, what he saw wasn't exactly good. Quinn and Lackmere may have the cover of the train down below, but here, on top of the train, they had a much better view of what was going on. Over a dozen lights were swarming behind the train, 
and the closest were already able to be identified in frightful detail as hoverbike riders clad in leathers and armor slowly made ground, and unfortunately for them, they were both armed and highly mobile. Ducking low when one of them took aim towards him, Zev cursed their luck as he counted fifteen lights at least, with more than one person per bike. Shit. What's the plan, sir? he asked over the howling of the wind. Thin out the herd with what firepower we have, and fight like madmen should they manage to make their way onto the train, Luke answered promptly, unshouldering his pistol and taking aim at one of the riders. Head tilted, one eye closed, Luke took the shot and nearly hit one of the frontmost riders dead center if it hadn't been for them swerving out of the way. It would have been a victory for the mercs if Luke hadn't followed up the shot with another two quick successive bolts that succeeded in making the bike swerve far right, straight into the path of the third bolt. It hit the drive right in the neck below the protective rim of their helmet, and just like that the bike was dead in the air. Not for long, though as the second figure on the bike managed to stow their gun for long enough to shift into the driver's seat, which left them distracted and wide open to a follow-up shot from Luke that had them drop like a puppet with its strings cut. "'Feel free to join in at any time!' Luke yelled over the howling of the wind and the sound of Quinn and Lackmere keeping up a steady stream of fiery death. "'Try to herd them into Lackmere and Quinn's range. They have the more powerful weapons!' Zev jolted into action as he remembered the gun in his holster. "'Right, he was supposed to be helping here.' Unholstering his pistol while staying low to the ground of the train and out of the path of any bolts, he took a deep breath and began to seek out a target. Picking one of the bikes on the far right, he lined up his sights with the figure at the front, compensating for the swerving actions most of them were taking to get out of the line of fire towards the center, and pulled the trigger. The kickback jolted through his arm, and a bright flash of red burst out of the muzzle of the gun a bolt sailing straight for the driver and missing them by only an arm's length as the driver kept swerving. He quickly fired again and again, missing the target but causing the bike to swerve wildly as it tried to avoid his bolts, wreaking havoc on the formation as other bikes had to compensate for the wild maneuvers. He kept firing, picking his targets from the far edges and seemingly never hitting anything despite his best efforts otherwise. Between the jolting of the train, the fact that the mercs were growing wise to their tricks and returning fire— and the fact that the targets were moving, agile, and armored, he was missing again and again despite his best efforts at lining up his shots. But at the very least, he was doing what Luke had ordered him and herding them into the path of the bigger, more accurate, and more lethal guns, giving Quinn and Lackmere easy shots while forcing the riders to keep moving wildly to avoid his shots. A pity they seemed to be missing most of the time, too. Sure, they were getting in some hits, and they were definitely taking advantage of the chaos they were selling, but it wasn't enough. Ducking out of the range of another bolt, he was just in time to see Luke nail another rider squarely in the chest before finishing them off with a bolt to the neck as the rider jolted backwards, exposing the weak spot and sending a fountain of blood spraying out as the artery ruptured. Force, what kind of trick shots even were that? Still, it was some comfort to know that even Luke was having to work hard to get around the armor of their targets, and with the riders once again distracted by one of Luke's stunts, he lined up another shot and nearly forced a crash when he pulled the trigger, the rider swerving wildly and barely missing one of their companions. "'Nice shot!' Luke complimented as he used the distraction to finish off the rider, and just like that Zev had an epiphany. He had to make what little ammunition they had left count, and frankly neither he, Lackmere, or Quinn was going to get enough kills in order to make it happen, but Luke could. Sir, he called out over the wind, save your ammo! Thou and I can get you the openings you need! Luke glanced at him for a split second, barely taking his eyes off the enemy before answering, Quinn and Lackmere aren't going to cut it! 
Zev argued hotly, still barely audible to even himself over the wind. It doesn't matter if their weapons are better suited to the job if they don't hit anything. We need to change tactics and use our ammo more effectively. Luke was silent for a moment, but only a moment, before he nodded firmly and Zev felt a wave of relief. Switch targets, he ordered firmly. Try to unbalance them. I'll take care of the openings. Yes, sir, he agreed while lining his pistol back up. He wasn't going to be able to hit anything, with the riders growing more and more evasive, but openings he could get. Especially if he didn't have to try and take advantage of them himself. Firing twice at a cluster of riders that was getting way too close for his liking, the new strategy immediately paid dividends when Luke hit a rider square in the front of the neck, and really that was starting to become a pattern. But Zev certainly wasn't complaining when a mist of blood wisping away through the air made it clear that it was an effective pattern. Zev! Val suddenly called, and he whipped his gaze around to find her firing at a rider who was far, far too close for comfort, and he immediately switched his aim to help her out. Three shots between the two of them to send them careening, a fourth from Luke to strike the killing blow, and the bike was sent spitting off into the pack, clipping another two on its way out. Things were finally looking to be taking a turn in their favor, as even Lackmere and Quinn seemed to be catching on to the plan, and with three snipers on the case of making the actual killing shots while he and Val wrecked their formations, they began sowing abject chaos in the ranks of their pursuers. The wind howled around them hard enough that he had to pin his cloak underneath his knee to stop it from ruining his shots, and his nose stung with the smell of burning whenever they had to duck under a volley of return fire, but they were finally making some headway. Rider after rider began to fall, and soon enough they'd racked up a kill count that was well into the double digits. "'Sons, why aren't they falling back yet?' Luke snarled as he hit another rider on the relatively unarmored abdomen, exposing their neck again for another shot. They've lost over a dozen people at this point. What in the name of the fucking desert are they thinking? That was an oddly good point. Even as he fired off another shot, he had to note that they had pretty damn large advantage of both the high ground and cover, and even if it was slow going, they were slaughtering a good number of these people without having taken a single casualty themselves so far. This wasn't a fair battle in any of the odds. And even as they were running out of ammunition, the speeder bikes the mercs were on didn't seem to be capable of pushing their limits much harder without having to make a slow approach, essentially a death sentence with their new tactics. But still, they were keeping up the pressure. What? Sun's fucking fire, Luke hissed direly as he looked up and what seemed to be very far away for a moment. Oh no. Sir? Zev called out while taking another shot. Nerves coming back up his throat alongside what felt like bile because that didn't sound like something he was going to like, not even a little. So what's going on? Reinforcements! Luke bellowed out loud enough for everyone to hear, and before Zev's stomach could even begin to rebel at the sheer fucking nope of that statement, the thundering sound of the train shifted sharply. And not even seconds later, Zev could see why. The narrow tunnel opened up into what seems to be a vast three-way intersection, and in the three seconds that they were in it, Zev felt his heart shoot up into his throat at what he saw. Headlights. Dozens of them. Within bare seconds, they were out of the intersection again as the train thundered onwards, but all that meant for the reinforcements was that the track was now clear. Light streamed to the end of the tunnel, and Luke hissed out several choice words and honeys as they began to rapidly encroach, bolstering the numbers of their pursuers into a truly terrifying force that had a realization coursing through him like lightning. They were going to die. There was not a single damn way in any of the nine Corellian hells that they were going to be able to take care of this many people with their dwindling ammo supply, and it seemed that Luke realized that too. 
Holstering his weapon, Zev thought for one terrifying moment that his runner was giving up before he began to speak. Hold the line for a couple of seconds, he ordered. I need to send a message to Crosshair and Zariah. So we can't, Zev protested. That's an order, Zev, Luke hissed. And Zev promptly shut his mouth and concentrated on keeping the lines in disarray while Luke got up and began to make his way back along the roof of the locomotive. Val shot him a pitying look, but he could barely catch a glimpse of it out of the corner of his eye before he had to turn back to the matter at hand. Without Luke, it was clear that they were no match for the encroaching mercs. Riders ducked and weaved their way through their blanket fire, and though they still scored kills, it was less than a handful and the riders were getting bolder. It probably didn't help that they could have just seen Luke, cloak billowing everywhere and presenting a constantly moving false target straight up leave, but it was still pretty insulting when they began swerving hair-raisingly close in blatant attempts to bait them out. Cretans, he mumbled under his breath when another one of them launched an attempt at making them waste their ammo, swerving close and out, presenting a huge target for just a moment but retreating not even a blink later. Absolute motherfuckers! Fell agreed while taking a pot shot at one who became just a bit too cocky and promptly having the bastard swerve back to join the others, and Zev barely stifled a snort. Forced, this was a life-or-death scenario, and one moment of lapsed concentration could mean that he got a nice new hole in his head. Why did he suddenly feel like laughing out loud? Probably the shock and stress. You were practically standing stiff with it, and humor's usually a good bet to get someone to snap out of it for a moment. Luke's voice echoed back at him from his memories months ago and he nearly groaned at the fact that even when his boss was absent, he was still making him face all those parts of himself that he didn't strictly want to. Banishing the all-too-knowing voice back into the gray mists of his mind, he took another shot at one of the riders in order to drive him into his fellow members. It didn't work, but it made him feel better, and really, he would take what he could get now that either death or capture seemed to be inevitable. One more rider went down in a blaze of red and blue light, blood splatting high as either Quinn or Lackmere got a lucky hit. But Force, this wasn't sustainable. He was down to counting shots and... Need the hands! Someone called out from behind him. Swiveling his head around, he saw the grinning head of Tyrion pop up over the ledge, immediately followed by the rest of the air as he crawled up and over the roof. About two! Alon added, immediately popping up after Tyrion. The two aristocrats carefully made their way over to them, wisely staying low, much like Zev had to keep their balance, and as happy as he wanted to see them, "'What are you two doing here?' Val called out as she took another pot shot. "'Didn't the rest tell you two to hold back?' "'He changed our orders!' Tyrion yelled back, clearly struggling against the wind, and Zev promptly ushered him down into his shadow, hopefully acting as a bit of a windbreak. Sir decided that with the added reinforcements, we needed all the guns we had available working on keeping them at bay, while he rushes over to talk with the operators, Tyrion continued, no longer yelling and shooting a graceful glance to Zev. He says he may have a plan, but we need to buy him time, and seeing as neither Alon nor I have yet to fire a bolt, we still have full of magazines. That leaves our flanks open, though, he replied while taking another shot in tandem with Val and sending a rider careening directly into Lackmere's firing range. The resulting fiery wreck of spinning metal as she clearly hit something important in the bike systems was definitely a bonus as they got to watch the riders rear back and scatter as it careened through their formation. Sir decided that it was worth it, Elan added while holstering his own gun. A small holdout, and Tyrion's was only a pistol, but with full magazines and a bit of luck, they might still be able to make something out of it. Now what are we shooting and what's the aim? We're basically the distraction, Thal quickly filled in. 
Don't have to go for the kill. You won't get one unless you're hiding expert marksmanship or some insane luck with the gun you're holding. Instead, herd them into Quinn and Lachnir's firing range. They've got the best weapons suited for the job of picking them off. Understood, Tyrion said, probably firing a shot towards a cluster of the riders, sending them scattering, and he and Val promptly zeroed in on the one who had the bad luck to end up in front. Three shots later and he was taken down by Quinn with a bolt straight into the abdomen. Sweet force. Tyrion muttered in surprise, and Zev grinned. See how it works, he said. We all work together and we can mince them pretty handily. Quit your flirting and get to it, Alon snapped. Quara and I will follow up the lead set. Fire the first shot and we'll take over hurting the target as best we can. He glared at the prince for approximately a split second before he promptly had to duck a bolt that sailed over his head and reluctantly conceded that now was probably not the best time for banter. If they survived this, they could snark at each other, but for now, murderous mercenaries that were pursuing them in a high-speed train chase, and he could not believe what his day had become by this point, frankly speaking. If he survived this, he bet they could make it into a damn good movie. Selecting his next target, he fired off a shot that barely made the rider duck, but Tyrion and Alun promptly covered him by sending a volley over that had him wildly swerving out and crashing into one of the other riders at top speed another flaming ball of fire ricocheting through the ranks and still not being enough to demoralize them. Come on, what would it take to make these guys think they weren't worth the effort? They tried the same thing another couple of times, but apparently wary of the new firepower on the scene, the riders were once again ducking and weaving like they wanted to avoid paying taxes on all that blood money they'd probably collected or no force. He was now snarking to himself, beating back the annoying little voice of his boss again, who was sounding very smug this time indeed, Zev growled and fired off another two shots. The rider weaved wide and slipped through all the ensuing shots, too, but he was so close. He went to fire again, and... Click. Staring at his pistol, Zev quickly tried to reload, but... Out of ammo. Oh, fuck. I'm out, he said, trying to disguise the dawning horror and panic that was looming just below the surface, and that he was trying very hard to suppress. Thal froze in place and glanced over to him, undisguised horror on her face. For one terrible moment, the full weight of the situation seemed to freeze the both of them in place before Val sprang into action, rummaging through her ammo belt and pulling out three clips, handing them over to him. Here, she said. Load up and conserve them. You might need it yet. Fifteen shots. He had fifteen shots left, and force. That was not a lot when confronted with a small army of armored mercenaries who, yes, hadn't managed to kill any of them yet as far as he knew, but that advantageous territory wouldn't last forever, loading up his pistol with shaking hands and desperately praying that he wouldn't fumble any of the three clips. He breathed deeply when he locked the magazine back in place again. You okay? Tyrion asked while firing off another volley of shots in time with a lun. Considering that we're facing the fact that we're running out of ammo and these bastards just keep coming, he arrived trying not to let any hysterics shine through in his voice. No, no, I'm not, but I'm trying to be. We just need to hold out a little longer, Tyrion tried to comfort him, just until Sir comes through with a plan. And that, that helped. Barely, but it helped. Luke would do something. He couldn't even begin to think of what, but then again, he never in a million years would have thought to jump off a building and make it work, so that was actually more reassuring than it probably should be. Force his boss was a maniac, and he'd followed him into the maw of death. He would prefer that latter part to be more of a daring escape than, and then they were never seen again kind of situation, though. 
but admittedly dying during a high-speed chase in an underground semi-secret ancient train network while engaged in a shootout with mercenaries and defending said train from a heist was... Well, there were definitely worse ways to die. Less adventurous ones, certainly. He would still prefer not to die, though. Tyrion largely took over his duties as an agent of chaos while he conserved his shots for when the situation really went tits up, and honestly he wished he could have told himself this morning that he would be thinking that line later in the day, observing the battle was both more and less harrowing than participating in it. And if he was honest, he resented losing the feeling of having at least some agency in it. But when the train started acting oddly, he was the one to notice first on account of not being busy lining up shots or ducking bolts. It was subtle at first, but soon enough became more noticeable, and his eyes widened as he registered that the train was leaning back. Pressure increased slowly all over his body, pulling him ever so slightly towards the edge in front of him, and the realization that the train was heading up shot through his mind like lightning. "'Anyone else feel like we're heading up?' Sev called out over the whistling of the wind. Val froze for a moment, frowning as she closed her eyes for a split second before nodding. "'Yeah, we're, we're definitely leaning,' she agreed. "'What?' "'Everyone off the roof!' a familiar voice yelled, and Zev's heart leapt at the sound of Luke echoing over the roof of the train. "'Everyone off the thrice-damned roof!' Whirling around, he found Luke scrambling his way over the edge, nearly running towards them before bodily grabbing Zev around the middle and hauling him backwards and up. "'Sir?' he squawked in alarm, but Luke cut him off with a snarl. "'No arguments, no protests! Get off the roof and into the damn train now!' He yelled into Zev's face, frantic like he'd only seen him once before, and as his heart shot up into his throat at the reminder of the buffet hall, Zev nodded rapidly and began scrambling backwards, quickly taking Tyrion along with him once Luke had hauled him to his feet. Maintaining his balance against the jolt grew harder as the incline grew steeper, but he could hear Luke's frantic calls behind him and scrambled forwards as fast as he dared. "'Move!' he heard Luke yell from somewhere behind him, as he nearly fell over the edge of the train in his haste to obey and get off the roof. Clambering down the ladder with a speed he hadn't previously ever achieved, he promptly yanked Tyrion off the ladder the moment his feet touched semi-stable shifting grounds and threw his whole weight into yanking the door open, spurred on by Luke's frantic shouts. Force, please let him get this open in time. Please, please, please. The door opened with a groaning shriek of protest, a waft of air smelling of burning slamming into him, and he hastily ushered Tyrion in while rounding the corner himself. Throwing his weight against the door to allow it to remain open while Val and Alun scrambled through, he strained against the locking mechanism while Luke physically threw Alun over his shoulder the last leg of the way and rushing inside. "'Close that door and get Quinn and Lightmere inside!' he yelled, setting Alun to the ground with enough force that it could almost be called a toss. "'Close all windows and brace yourselves on the ground while I close the shutters. Steer clear of anything that could knock loose!' Phantom, that didn't sound good." but he was not going to be asking any questions before all his orders were carried out to the T. Releasing the door with a groan of relief, he ran over to Quinn, hauling his friend in from where he'd been working his way back inside by the scruff, and promptly slammed the window shut before any of the mercs could get any ideas. Glancing over, he saw that Tyrion, Alan, and Val were busy doing the same for Lightmere, and the moment that window was shut back tight, Luke hit the button to lower all shutters. "'Brace yourself for impact!' he yelled over his shoulder, and yeah, that really didn't sound good. Joining everyone in a scramble to the middle of the room, he tucked himself into a fetal position while pressed against both Val and Alun, Luke bracing himself over all of them in a protective embrace, and... A sound like the sky splitting open rent through the air and punched into Zev's chest, thundering and bellowing and screaming as the train rocked and jolted and shook like it was being tossed around by a furious god. 
He tried to pant air into his lungs around the pounding of the sound, and was barely successful as he gulped in a lungful of air that smelled and tasted like it was drenched in ozone. Images flashed through his mind of skies colored blood-stained black and a sun as red as rust. Winds howled, thunder bellowed, and he prayed, 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 let them live, let them live, let them live. Curled into a tight ball, tucked in between his friends, Zev barely stifled a sob as it sounded like everything crashed down around them, down to the very sky itself. The train screeched and shrieked as they were dragged along the floor with the force of the stop they were building up to, jolting and shocking and thrashing their way along while something banged on the outside of the train with a vengeance. Something roared in the distance, and Zev curled even tighter into a ball as something, something made itself known. And then it was over. The train glided to a halt with a screech, rocking and tilting but slowing down as it went, the thunderous noise calming down to mere scrabbling, guttering grating that eventually faded away entirely into the rhythmic tapping of... Rain? He panted heavily as he glanced up out of his fetal position, glancing around the room in the hopes of finding that they hadn't in fact descended straight into whatever afterlife awaited them when he instead found that the locomotive was still intact, only dented. Visibly, a lot. Shallowly, but a lot. While it was still worthy of a sigh of relief. Letting his arms drop and releasing all the tension that had wound him as uptight as his teachers on political reliability scores, Zav dropped flat to the ground with a sigh while everyone else seemed to come to around him as well. Thank whoever was looking out for him. They were alive. Is everyone all right? Luke asked, panting quietly while taking stock of them all, and Zev could barely groan out an answer as he processed the fact that they hadn't died in that whatever that was. The rest groaned out similar answers. Presumably, the groaning made it hard to understand, as they slowly began to clamber their way back to their feet, or at least a vaguely upright position, bruised and battered, but alive. Dear fucking force on a fork, Quinn muttered while rubbing his head was that? The train ramming its way through a previously blocked-off portal to a surface station, Luke replied with a sigh. It seems that we have, in fact, survived the ordeal, and are now on the surface per express delivery. He blinked. I'm sorry, he rasped out, trying to figure out if he'd heard that right or if it was the ringing in his ear. Did you just say we rammed our way through a blocked-off exit? Of all the insanity. We did, Luke confirmed, and Zev promptly felt like screaming. It was a last resort, but we were never going to be able to depart normally with the hunters on our tails, so I... convinced. He didn't even want to know what had really happened. Crosshair not to resort to decoupling the coops and instead try an alternative. Luke sighed, and suddenly he sounded very, very tired to Zev. That alternative was ram our way onto the surface in the hopes that we would be shielded enough inside the train in order to make our escape while hopefully crushing any of our pursuers in the shower of debris that would follow. He paused for a moment and took another deep breath. The former appears to have been successful, he announced tiredly, the latter not as much as hoped, though they seem to be occupied with the rubble for now. Luke had to be kidding him. We're still not rid of all these guys, he blurted out. Damn it all to hell, what will it take? Overwhelming force, guerrilla tactics, and a readiness to get our hands soaked in even more blood, Luke answered grimly. 
only two of which we possess in ready quantities. So it's time to escape again, Val asked from where she was peeling herself off the floor, groaning as she ran a soothing hand along her leku. So it's time to escape again, Luke agreed. And how he was still going strong while sounding only marginally annoyed by the whole ordeal, Zev had no idea. It had been hours upon hours of nothing but being constantly on the move with death hanging over them, and personally he was starting to get incredibly sick of this whole ordeal. We'll need to find somewhere to hunker down for the night at this rate, she added on with a sigh. I don't know exactly where we are, but once we get on the move, Lackey and I should be able to find a safe house of some kind to get a few hours of shatai in. He stood corrected. Apparently he would need to quit his whining and buckle up for yet another round of this nonsense. Fucking force. Luke breathed in deeply, before groaning as he fully worked himself up to his feet. All right, he muttered while dusting himself off. If everyone can still stand and walk and has no broken bones or torn tendons, it's time to get down to brass tacks of escaping these hunters again. Feeling about as tired as Luke sounded, but not about to give up before his runner did, Zav heaved himself up to his feet, aching on all ends and with ribs that definitely weren't thanking him for getting thrown around again, he began carefully moving all parts of his body. He was definitely worse for wear, and was also pretty sure that the painkillers he'd been given weren't as strong as they used to be. But despite the fact that his bruises had bruises and his very bones seemed to ache, he could still walk. Ready to go, sir, he grunted. But my ribs definitely aren't happy with me. That seemed to catch Luke's attention despite everything, and he hastily made his way over in two long strides. Which side? Luke asked urgently, prodding along his side, and oh boy, it was definitely doing some odd things to him to have Luke that close. Thankfully, his runner soon found an especially sensitive spot that made him swear profusely when it was pressed and nearly doubled over, handily chasing all thoughts from his mind except that it hurt. Right side, Luke concluded firmly. Definitely fractured, but I don't think it's a complete break. We'll need immediate treatment for that, though. He promptly rummaged through one of his many pouches and pulled out a little bottle of a familiar-looking liquid. Grimacing as Luke held it out to him, he was both relieved and dismayed to see that the runner had somehow come into possession of a small bottle of Backdade. Drink it, Luke urged needlessly while turning back to the others. It's one of the few things these hunters were good for, so we might as well not waste it. Tracking the seal on the little plastic bottle... Zev nearly gagged as the sickeningly sweet scent of pineapple immediately filled his nose. Pinching the offending organ shut, he tossed back the entire bottle like a shot, forcing it down despite the horrific texture of white chalk and an overly sweet taste. It was good for him, he had to remember that. No matter how horrible the stuff, it was good for him. That didn't stop him from coughing violently once he'd worked it all back and shuddering as he felt it go down his throat. Anyone else? Luke promptly asked. Fess up now, because we need to go pick up Crosshair and Zariah and book it. Lackmere promptly groaned out a low sound as she attempted to fully get up, only managing to get one leg under her before the other promptly gave out the moment she tried to put any kind of pressure on it, merely sending her sprawling again if it weren't for Val promptly inserting herself against her partner's side. Shit, Luke muttered while promptly jumping over, taking careful stock of the offending leg, prodding gently at Lackmere's knee and getting a vicious-sounding snarl for his trouble. Broken, Luke declared, sounding graver than ever, possibly with a dislocated kneecap. You won't be able to run on that, and I can't give you back to in case it heals wrong. Lackmere growled out a low response, and Luke glared back at her, eyes blazing bright enough that for a second Zev could have sworn they glowed. Absolutely not, he declared in a hiss, 
No one is getting left behind here. Lechmere growled something back, actually sounding angry this time. For all that Zev didn't understand Shrewook, but Luke growled right back in a frighteningly accurate imitation, even angrier. No one is getting left behind, and that's final, Lechmere, he ordered. Voice dangerously low, and, well, that was that. Anyone else got similar issues? Quinn groaned lowly as he tried to get fully upright and shook his head. Same thing as Zev, sir, he said, gently rubbing at his sides. My ribs are not thanking me for my efforts, and the drugs are wearing off. Luke took over examination and elicited a yelp of pain from Quinn after he pressed down on a specific spot. He promptly got tossed another bottle of Bactate and drank it with much the same expression Zev suspected he'd made after cracking open the seal. The runner once again glanced around, looking at the rest of them, but Tyrion and Elan were already ahead of him and shaking their heads. "'Nothing here, sir,' Tyrion assured him. "'My bruises have bruises.' And I'm not sure how much longer I'll be able to act in spite of the pain, but for now I'll be able to go on. Same here, Alon supplied, before grunting as he tried to stretch himself. But if we go through a third beating like that, I'm not sure if that'll be the case the next time. Luke grimaced and nodded, with Zev privately agreeing. The bomb was already bad enough, but with this thrown over them only hours later, the accumulative injuries were starting to build up. Another strike like this, and they'd be out. There was a significant glance over to the injured Lackmere, who frankly looked like she could barely move with how Val was reluctantly letting her sink to the ground again. They would need a splint of some kind to even begin to think of moving her without causing further and possibly permanent damage to her leg, a splint which they didn't have. For a while, all that could be heard was the tapping of rain and the whistling wind outside as Luke closed his eyes and sighed deeply. Lackmere, he began. I can carry you. I won't be especially graceful or agile about it, but I can. He paused for a moment. It'll have a likely chance of further damaging your leg, though, and it could get worse before we can finally get you to medical treatment. Possibly permanent, if medical attention is a long time coming. Lackmere huffed out a soft sound and rumbled out a short, but oddly gentle sound, and Luke smiled back at her. All right, then, he agreed, treading over before and giving her a sympathetic grimace. I apologize in advance for how this is going to feel, but I have to ask you not to claw me out of reflex. Lackmere growled out a laugh, and with that, Luke set his shoulders under Lackmere like he'd so far done with the rest of them, rolled her torso onto his shoulders and heaved. With a tremendous effort that was nonetheless looking a lot less intense than Zev would have expected for a Wookiee being picked up by someone a couple of heads shorter, Luke got Lackmere onto his shoulders with only a single stifled roar of pain from her and a grunt from Luke as she instinctively sunk her claws into him. Promptly growling out what seems to be an apology, she retracted them. But Luke just shook his head and set off, albeit with less of his light-footed grace than usual. Come on, he muttered to the rest of them, possibly in an effort to keep as much of Lackmere's hair out of his mouth as possible. We have to move. Two sharp clicks of his tongue and they were back at it. Zev was the one to wrench the door open, or at least make an attempt at it. Whether it was the crash or just everything that followed, it took him throwing his full weight against the handle before the door finally budged, opening up with a shriek. The moment the door was open, the sounds of the storm overhead intensified, and the tapping of the rain swelled into a susurration. Thunder rolled through the sky, the sound blowing into the locomotive on the wind that howled and whistled all around, chasing away what little warmth had settled into their cloaks as it blew them wide open. There were small blessings, though, 
At least it was no longer pitch black outside, and gilded linings of sunlight decorated the dark gray clouds, casting a golden light over the city that was entirely dissonant with the violent nature the storm was pouring out over them. He supposed that if they had to continue being on the run while sheets of water fell out of the sky and winds batted them left and right, they could at least enjoy a wondrous light show while they were at it. Fuck, he really needed to de-stress if he was starting to think like this. Trudging through the train and wrenching open door after door with the help of Val, he already knew he was going to be so sore if he survived to see the next morning. At least it gave them a thorough way to examine the damage dealt to the train. The coops were just as badly dinged as the locomotive, worse even, to the point where some of the gilded woodwork had broken off and several glow spheres had knocked free. Windows were shattered, and for all that the train hadn't derailed, there was still a part in the first coop where part of the roof had just peeled back like a can lid, rain streaming in. It had nothing on the front locomotive, though. Wrenching open the door with Val's help, the slightly bowed-out door was pulled open bit by bit. It certainly didn't want to fit nicely into the wall anymore, but with the full weight put behind it, he and Val didn't exactly give it much of a choice. And it was a good thing, too. Inside, the locomotive was an absolute wreck. The beautiful brass and glass and wood interplay of the machinery completely smashed to bits, and the front of the train had gotten the recent addition of what could be generously described as a massive fuck-off ragged hole. The ground was littered with debris from the delicate machinery, and the former console sparked with electricity and hissed with escaping steam, confirming what Luke had said about the composition of the mechanics. None of that mattered in the face of blood on the ground, and the sight of an injured Zariah tending to Crosshair, who seems to be even worse off. Zariah had a bloody cut alongside her left mantra, curving from her forehead all the way to the back, and seeping rivulets of blood all over her face. There was bad bruising visible all over, and a set of bloody cuts running along her shoulders. None of that seemed to matter, though, as she desperately tried to tend to Crosshair with a rag torn from what seemed to be her skirt. Crosshair, who the entire right side of his mane was colored a deep red as it drenched with blood, the old Rin was breathing heavily, and his eyes were blinking in and out of focus as Zariah talked quietly to him and Quaddy keeping him propped up against the wall with a gentle hand. Luke promptly cursed as he saw what was happening in front of him, and with as much care and hate as he could, he sat down Lackmere, receiving only a light grunt of pain. Zariah looked up when Luke approached, but her eyes were pained and filled with worry as the runner began to examine Crosshair, carefully thumbing up one of the half-closed eyelids and brushing aside the blood-matted mane while Crosshair grouchily tried to fend him off. Zev blew out a soft laugh, relieved that that at least hadn't changed, and Luke seemed to consider it a good sign. Concussion, Luke noted decisively, and a severe head laceration, but no apparent damage to the skull. Thank whatever you believe in, then we can start applying Bacta immediately. Bacta? Zarai asked, stunned expression, and even Zev could see the hope bubbling up inside of her. Without answering, Luke pulled out, not Bacdaid, but a small spray canister. Brush the mane aside from where the wound is, Luke ordered her quietly. I need to get as close as I can. Zariah promptly followed orders, and Zev breathed out a sigh of relief as the hiss of an emptying spray canister filled the air, alongside the sickly sweet pineapple smell of Bacta. Damn, full of fruit. 
Crosshair muttered out while glaring at the spray canister hard enough that he went cross-eyed. Don't Sorry, Mr. Crosshair, Luke muttered while steadily applying more of it. But at your age, we can't risk it. If we don't get this emergency treatment on you right now, there could be severe complications later on when we get you to a proper medic. If... Crosshair returned testily, closing his eyes with a frown, but apparently too exhausted to stop it all from happening. When? Luke corrected quietly, though how much he believed that himself, Zeb wasn't too sure of. Luke continued applying the spray until he was apparently satisfied with what he saw, turning to use the last of the spray on Zariah before she could make any protests. Not that she seemed to be inclined to do so, merely tilting her head a bit to offer Luke a better angle while sighing in relief as the pain began to abate. There, Luke finished, discarding the spray canister once it was empty. That's as much as I can do in the moment, he sighed. We'll need to be careful while moving Mr. Crosshair, he revealed quietly. And with his age, there could be complications if we don't. Who'll be moving him? Sev asked quietly. Hopefully, Luke answered, one of you guys. I already have Lackmere to balance out, and I don't think I could handle the extra weight in any meaningful way. Well, obviously, but... I'll take him, Quinn said, walking up to where Crosshair was propped up against the wall. Just show me the proper hold and we can be on our way. Luke didn't even stop to question Quinn's volunteering, merely jumping straight into the explanation of how to keep the old Rin balanced over his shoulders, how to hold the legs and arm, and what not to do in order to ensure that there would be no further jostling of the head. Once Quinn had the hang of it, Luke had Lackmere back over his own shoulders in moments and clicked his tongue twice, drawing them all back into following him. Worming their way out of the wreckage, Zev could only look up to the sky in wonder as it came into full view. A patchwork of deep, steel-gray and bright golden white where sunlight gilded the clouds, that much he'd seen earlier. But the clouds swirled overhead, chasing each other in a tight spiral that spelled hurricane, and yet... Lightning flashed overhead, the rain pouring down in sheets of gold-lit crystals, and he started to think that maybe the whole storm-patron aspect of this all was less nonsense than he'd perhaps like it to be. He'd certainly never seen a storm like this before, not in all his years at the Academy or even on other worlds. What was this? Two sharp clicks drew his attention again, and he spun around to find Luke giving him a significant look as he passed by. He nodded sheepishly and fell back in line, mortified at being caught daydreaming in a situation like this. It was a good thing, too, that he looked down, because otherwise he would have missed the entirety of the realization that they had gotten stranded in the middle of an enormous town square, with a trail of rubble and debris behind them. There were no mercs yet, thankfully, but with the wide-open plain of the square they'd found themselves in, he had to wonder if that would last long enough for them to escape. It didn't. They'd barely made it clear of the train and out into the town square, cloaks growing heavier and heavier as they absorbed the rain, when Luke abruptly froze, paled underneath his mask, and made the sharp sound that ordered an immediate retreat back into cover. Not half a second later, a blaster bolt whizzed past him close enough to singe Lackmere's fur, which immediately earned an enraged roar as they all promptly booked it back to the safety of the train. Lackmere, I'm sure that proper fur care is very difficult and expensive, but I'm asking you to prioritize, Luke yelled back while skidding his way around the corner and back into the first coop. Slamming himself around the corner and panting hard with both fear, exertion, and adrenaline as he registered the situation, he glanced over to Luke, who was propping Lackmere up in a corner while Quinn did the same with Crosshair. Sir, 
he asked. What do we do now? There was no way they were going to get through the entirety of that square without getting shot to bits, and they were already low on ammo. The train was currently the only cover they had, but now that they were no longer on the move, it was also a trap force. Was this... Thunder rumbled lowly, softer and louder than he'd ever heard it before, and... and... Oh, that wasn't thunder. That was Luke. Carefully backing away from where Luke was growling out a low rumble like an unhinged animal, Zev glanced around to seek out the others to see if they were hearing this too. Quinn, Tyrion, and Olan all seemed to be having the same idea that he did, and slowly putting distance between them and the runner. Val, though. Val seemed to nearly be bouncing with excitement, beaming bright as she watched Luke slowly set Lakmir down before straightening up, and when Luke turned around, Force. If he thought that the runner's eyes had gleamed before, now they were blazing, sparking bright. Little flints of blue eyes shining out from underneath the shadow of the hood, and he swore, he swore, that it wasn't a trick of the light. It was when Luke began to move, though, that he truly felt a shiver run down his spine. Calculated, controlled, calm, and yet with an air of menace and danger that was, well, it probably shouldn't be doing for him what it was. The scent of ozone and rain and salt hung thick in the air, and Zev shivered as the winds blew directly into the hairs of his neck. It seems, Luke began lowly, voice so far removed from his usually light and pleasant tone that he could really see where Lord Vader and Luke found their similarities, that our hunters are insistent. And oh, that was probably not a good hiss. On forcing a confrontation. He growled again, deep and low, and this time Zev could see how it bared Luke's teeth like a threat while he began to uncoil his tether and wrap it around his arm. Very well, he continued. Let's give them what they wish. And oh, Force, those were some confusing feelings he was having right now. We're going to have to make a stand, Luke announced, finishing his tether wrap and flipping his knife out of its sheath in order to examine it. I'm afraid that there will be no option of remaining out of this fight, as no matter how hard I try, I cannot guarantee that none of the hunters will slip by me. Fight however you are most comfortable with, but I ask that you stick close to the train unless you know you have an opening to get away. Well, that wouldn't be happening. If he wasn't getting ordered to run, he wasn't running, no matter how much he didn't want to fight. And you, sir? he asked. He was going to need to know the plan here in order to coordinate the most effectively. Luke grinned, baring his teeth in a gesture that was about as friendly as a knife in the back while thunder rolled above, lightning flashing and lighting up the runner's eyes in a nuclear blue blaze. I'll be giving these hunters exactly what they seem to be craving, he answered in a hiss, they want a confrontation, they can get it. But if they want a confrontation with my charges, they'll have to go through me. All right, Stormwraith, Val cheered. Let's get cracking, then. I'll keep watch over the injured, Zariah volunteered, stationing herself where Lakmir and Crosshair were leaning against the wall, unholstering her stun baton with a dangerous crackle of electricity. And I'll get on the roof, then, he added turning to Luke. You'll need cover fire if you're going out there to confront them. If you want to, you certainly can. 
Luke agreed, Walt disappearing his hand to his side for only a moment before coming back with three very familiar metal canisters. But I'm asking that you don't shoot unless you're absolutely certain you have the right target. Do those even work in the rain? He asked incredulously. You think I would design something that can't work with a little humidity? Luke challenged with a downright dangerous grin. And oh boy, he suddenly had to wonder just how fucked they actually were with their runner having decided to go fully feral. This would be interesting, and hopefully not the literal death of them. Luke Laws! A voice bellowed from outside the train, magnified by some form of device. Come out with your little accomplices and hands held high. You got nowhere to run. Luke shot the direction of the voice, a glare vicious enough that it could strip paint. Well, they're right in one thing, he hissed. There's nowhere to run. Somehow Zev got the feeling he wasn't talking about himself. Everyone into position, Luke ordered sharply, making his way over to the hole in the roof of the coop, climbing up onto the upholstery. You'll know when the fighting starts. With that, he heaved himself up onto the roof with a quick little jump that made it seem he'd merely jumped onto a stepping stool. Zev quickly followed after him alongside Val and seemingly every other person who could still walk in some form, with even Zariah taking up position close to one of the broken windows. Clambering up to the roof as rain started to soak into his cloak once more, he wasn't surprised to find Luke already standing there, tall and proud, cloak billowing freely in the wind and looking utterly unbothered by the fact that dozens upon dozens of guns were pointed in his direction as the mercs assembled in a loose half-circle on the right-hand side of the train. If it were anyone else, Zev would call them overconfident and suggest surrendering to whatever nebulous and only potentially fatal fate awaited them, rather than the certain death of resistance. But it wasn't anyone else. It was Luke, a man who'd earned himself the title of Storm Wraith and a man who was staring down their hunters like he was approximately 110% done with their nonsense. Said nonsense being trying to kill or capture them, of course, but he wouldn't know it by the way Luke was glaring down at the mercs. Arms crossed over his chest and hiding the tether wrapped around his arm as well as the smoke bombs in his hand. This was Luke, and somehow that made all the difference. Leave, Luke commanded voice booming over the roar of thunder and somehow not shouting, Leave or die. But you will not harm my charges. He narrowed his eyes, flints of glaring ice. None of you will. You are in no position to make such demands, your highness, the spokesperson taunted. Get off the roof and surrender or we might just let the loose ends live. Wrong move. Narrowing his eyes even further, Zev could hear a soft couple of clicks and braced for impact in three, two. Before the countdown could even finish, and almost faster than his eye could track, Luke pitched the smoke bombs into the center of the half-circle. They burst open with a crackling bang of sparks and erupted into a cloud of thick black smoke that immediately shot outwards and upwards like a thundercloud descended onto earth to the surprised cries of the mercenaries. Before he could even blink or begin to ask how or what Luke was planning to do with that, Luke leapt from the roof of the train, because of course he did, 
and disappeared into the thick cloud of smoke. Almost immediately after that, blaster bolts started flying around his ears at all angles as the mercs blind-fired into their general direction in the hopes of hitting something. Ducking low to avoid getting perforated like a pincushion while crawling along the roof, he stared into the thick mist, hoping to see something, anything, of what Luke was getting up to. Holy fucking shit, Quim muttered next to him, staring wide-eyed much like he had and wiping the rain off of his face. The fuck is this a bloody cartoon? It's just a big ball of violence, Tyrion agreed, staring into the fog out of which panicked and furious shouts rang forth. But still, we should probably try to help out where we can. Then stop your gaping and actually start sniping, Alon snapped behind Zev. Come on, move it! He promptly got a shove in the back, merely sending him sprawling on his face out of the kneel he'd adopted on the roof and he elbowed back sharply, hitting something soft that had a lung hiss. Practice some patience, he snapped back. I will once we're actually helping the guy who just jumped into an armed gang of mercenaries, Alan hissed. Find a target and get going. Are you blind or can you just not see that there's nothing to shoot at? He retorted indignantly. We can't see them any more than they can see us, and if we start firing now we might hit Luke. For the love of the force, there has to be something we can do, Alan protested. And for the first time, Zev registered that Alun might just be worried instead of contrary. We don't just shut up and start focusing, Val snarled at them all. Get into position and wait there ready until you have a clear target, you absolute teenagers. Yes, sir, he muttered, tucking his damp cloak further around himself while trying to find an opening between the blaster bolts to see if he could hit anything. The stray bolt seems to lessen over time even as the shouts didn't, as the mercs either coordinated or started rushing out of the smoke screen, coughing and instinctively covering the visors of their helmets against the burning of the smoke. Clearly, whatever else their helmets were, they didn't have air filters that could stand up against the smoke, and that right there was their opening. Picking off the armored targets was still no easier than it had been, but with them blinded, desperate, and far less mobile without their hoverbikes while possessing a steady high ground— it was about as easy as it was ever going to get. Finally, his marksmanship training was paying some dividends as he lined up a shot with a desperately coughing merc, the sights aligning just about right when... A shot rang out as he pulled the trigger, a blast of hot red light bursting from the muzzle in the cool rain, and right in front of him a person fell dead at his hands. He took in a steadying breath and tried to ignore how his hands shook as he stared down the sights at a corpse he had killed. The very first he had killed. It didn't matter. He'd seen plenty of death today, and whether or not he was the one pulling the trigger, this one was still just as dead as all those other people, one down many, many more to go. Easy, bro, Quinn muttered beside him. Just breathe through it. You get used to it quickly, and the adrenaline will take over soon enough, one of the two. I didn't know it would feel like this, he admitted while trying to pick out another target and ignoring the shaking of his hands. Neither did I, Quinn said as he lined up another shot and pulled the trigger. They didn't speak any more after that, just picking off stragglers as best as they could with the little ammunition they had left, and by the time he pulled the trigger on his third shot and didn't miss, he could pretend that he didn't even notice the shaking in his hands anymore as he stared into the black cloud that was starting to thin out. Of course, he didn't understand how his dad did this in every single campaign. It was horrible. Or Luke, for that matter. 
Luke, who was still engulfed somewhere in that dense smoke cloud and who even knew if he was still alive at this point. Another merc stumbled out of the smoke, footsteps wet and sliding on the flagstones, and Zev was already lining up his fourth shot when, out of nowhere, a flash of silver wrapped itself around the man's arm and forcefully spun him around. The silver flashed back into the smoke with the force of which it was yanked, Merc yelling in surprise. Frozen in place, Zev could only stare in shock down his gun sights as a massive black shape swooped through the air and with the glint of a blade slashed through the man's throat, a fountain of blood splattering outward as the dark figure kicked off of the Merc's body and launched itself back into the smoke. What's that? Tyrion whispered. Stormwraith, Val replied in a voice hushed with awe. The body of the merc dropped to the ground, bleeding out over the flagstones, and Zev breathed in a shaky breath as he moved to find a new target. That was... messy. Luke, Wraith, had never been so messy before, and he could only assume that it was out of necessity and not revenge. There, Alan whispered, pointing to a part where the smoke cloud had largely cleared out, drawing in the stumbling and coughing forms of two mercs, slowly walking backwards with guns drawn, frantically pointing at it seemingly anything at all. Don't shoot, Val commanded. I have a feeling. Before she could even finish her sentence, the flash of the tether's hook struck out of the fog again, wrapping itself around the barrel of one merc's weapon and yanking it clean out of the poor sod's hands and disappearing back into the smoke. The other immediately started firing in the general direction of where the tether had come, desperate, afraid, and wholly unprepared for the stolen weapon to come sailing out of the fog at an angle and with such vengeance, slapping the firing weapon out of the merc's hands and leaving the two of them wide open. The wraith followed barely a second later, appearing in a flash of billowing fabric. He must have blinked, as the next moment the first merc was sinking to the ground with a slashed throat, blood splattering with the bisection of the artery and the wraith having already descended upon the second merc. They tried to put up a fight, but there really was no fighting against a furious black specter launching himself off the body of your dying partner and ruthlessly bringing you down with his own body weight. Another slash to the throat, and the wraith had melted back into the smoke, leaving two corpses in his wake. I'm scared now, Quinn announced. Good, Val muttered as she took another two shots at a straggler. You should be. Zev swallowed heavily, trying to stamp down the same feeling of fear and wariness that he was starting to experience. But as the smoke started to dissipate, he could see dark forms slipping in and out of view within the haze. It put him on edge, and even as he tracked every instance of them he could find in case it turned out to be a merc, he didn't dare fire. More and more mercs were starting to stumble out of the smoke now that it was starting to clear up, and Zev picked off his fourth target in short order. Corpses were starting to litter the ground now, and he could count almost a dozen lying outside the smoke cloud's boundaries without slashed throats. The smoke was rapidly starting to clear now, though, and within the wisps he could see another one of the wraith's victims as he and the merc struggled before the wraith sharply jerked his head back and snapped it forward in a headbutt, stunning his opponent for just long enough to slash through the throat. Smoke shot up in elegant twists as air rushed around the falling body, but the wraith had already launched himself at another target, tether snapping through the air and wrapping itself around them while smoke curled around the hem of a flaring black cloak 
dancing in rivulets around the whirling phantom of death. A sharp yank on the tether sent the unfortunate soul spinning and stumbling straight into the blade of the wraith as the tether's hook sailed through the air and faithfully returned to its owner. Blaster fire turned upon the location of the wraith, and Zev's mouth was dry with fear as the wraith launched himself into the air with a jump, dashing through the smoke and almost phasing in and out of existence as he seemed to dance between the flashes of red and blue. Lining up his own shots and trying to help out as much as he could, Zev couldn't help but keep half an eye on the wraith at all times as the man whirled through the ranks of the scattered and retreating mercs like a storm. Sometimes mercs jerked like they'd been shot without any of them firing, and Zev had to watch in horror as they stumbled around for a few agonizing seconds before they sunk through their knees and onto the floor, jerking and twitching before stilling forever. He breathed a steadying breath as he picked another target while his former one laid on the ground, soaking in the rain and slowly dying to an alarmingly powerful poison. This was honestly getting scary. He could clearly see the mercs in the smoke now, frantically backing out of it with weapons drawn while they looked around themselves with wide eyes, but not the wraith. It was like trying to spot a camouflaged predator. He only ever saw him after he'd struck and then got the odd sense that he'd been there the entire time and he really should have seen him before. The smoke was all but gone now, and even as a haze still hung in the air, the clear advantage or disadvantage in visuals had disappeared for seemingly all but the wraith. What it revealed was a nightmare in more ways than one. The floor was littered with bodies, blood pooling on the flagstones and giving the whole ground an eerie wash as it mixed with the rain to run deep into the cracks lighting up with the flashing of blaster bolts overhead. The wraith had spared none in his rampage, killing as many as he could possibly get his hands on and painting the square red with his victory and vengeance. And yet, it wasn't enough. Through the smoke, he could see the mercenaries regrouping, looking no less for having lost as many members as they had, and with what seems to be an endless stream of fresh reinforcements from the tunnel running to join their fellows. For every body that they added to the pile, three new ones seemed to get in, and the counterfire was getting heavy enough that finding an opening to continue shooting was getting harder and harder. The wraith still seemed ever elusive, but they were not, and it was only a matter of time before... Red light flashed in front of him and searing pain shot through the right side of his body, knocking all air out of him in one breathless gasp as his entire body jerked with the shock of burning, blistering energy coursing through it. Target hit! He heard someone distantly yell, but pain blurred all his senses and before he knew it the world was tipping over on its axis. Someone scrambled at his other shoulder, but it was already too late, and for one breathless moment he was weightless as the world spun around him, something roaring in his ears as ozone burned within his lungs while salt lay heavy on his tongue, wind rushing and curling around him like the buffeting wings of... Then the world went white as pain fractured through his whole body. Gasping raggedly around the pain, he coughed. As he tried to make sense of the ringing world around him, vision blurring at the edges, far too bright and loud, while something, some things, roared and roared and roared in fury. Blinking furiously to bring the world back into focus as he looked out, he barely comprehended what he saw. Rows and rings of shard-like teeth of lightning, fractals of light winding and weaving together like scales, 
the blood of the earth dripping from seven, four, thirteen, one, twenty-eight maws in salt and water, eyes and eyes and eyes that held a universe each, a voice that roared with thunder as skies in the shape of wings folded. In the next blink it was gone. He breathed deeply. As the world focused back down into a single image, the colors dulling back down from oversaturation and overexposure hell into something more manageable, and shaking his head slightly against the throbbing that seemed to ring through his entire body, he lifted his head to see red everywhere, and a furious specter of black ripping into the gray with a vengeance that couldn't be quelled even with all the red that was being directed his way until it was a blur of billowing void silhouetted against burning red and blue. Not my charge. The specter bellowed with a voice that thundered around him as it danced between red and blue lightning strikes with a lethal precision that ended in more red painting the ground, gray after gray dropping down like the rain around them. I warned you, the specter bellowed again. I warned you. Leave or die. Leave or die. Now leave. There was something he should remember here. Someone. Sir. He whispered, barely above his breath, working himself up onto an elbow even as everything hurt, blinking at the specter, wraith. He shook his head against the pain, tasting salt on his tongue and oddly feeling a lot better for it. Sir? He called out with renewed strength, the pain fading into the background, lulled to sleep by whispers he couldn't be sure were in his head or not. The wraith stopped for barely a split second in his rampage to glance back at him, crystalline ice-blue eyes meeting his own, and the wraith, Luke, offered him a toothy smile that spoke of sheer relief. Grinning back, he almost forgot the situation for a moment until... Target unconfirmed! Someone yelled, Double tap! (laughs) A shriek of rage rent the air. As Luke threw himself back into the enemy, somehow managing to single-handedly beat down target after target in his fervor to defend. But it wouldn't stop the muzzle of a gun from spitting bright red light at him, and Luke couldn't kill fast enough to stop the trigger from being pulled either, and something roared in the air. Burning bright red filled his vision, the world slowing down to a crawl, and this was it, this was it, this was it. Desperate breaths drew in air as fast as he could, not wanting it to be his last, as the light filled his vision and, 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 and. Shouldn't he be dead by now? He was nearly hyperventilating and tried to gulp down more air as he stared a bolt of simmering red death in the face, blinking as he tried to scramble back from it, and it, it... It wasn't moving. Scooting carefully to the side from the floating ball of red death while trying not to faint, he looked back out over the battlefield where it seemed like everyone was in a momentary state of shock except for Luke, who was still roaring. 
And that also wasn't Luke roaring, it was engines. People were staring, but they were also looking up, and those who were looking up were screaming, so he should probably look up and... Oh. Oh. Blinking against the rain pouring down, Zev stared up at the silhouette of a speeder framed in a patch of golden light amongst the marble sky, hovering above the battlefield. Standing in the open door of the speeder was a familiar figure, mantle billowing in the storm winds much like Luke's was, and sunlight gleaming on plastisteel just like it did on a lacquered mask. The figure held a hand outstretched, curled into a claw, and gestured it sharply to the side while glaring down at the ball. To Zev's eternal shock and relief, the ball of deadly energy that had been floating in front of him followed the order, splintering itself harmly against the drenched flagstones with a crackle and a hiss. Blinking at where just now his delayed death sentence had been hovering, he looked back up to the speeder, just in time to see the figure leap from up high and land on the ground with a thunderous sound. Stone cracked underneath heavy armored boots, and the figure slowly straightened up out of its kneel, tall and proud and terrifying. A hand holding a cylinder hung to the side almost carelessly. But the deception was revealed. A blade of solid, burning red light manifested itself like a thing from nightmares. Amidst the howling winds, freezing rain, and blood-soaked ground, the figure looked right at home as he sunk into a battle stance and let out a truly inhuman roar. <laughs> Harmonizing with Luke's own fury in a way that only these two would ever be able to accomplish. Side by side, the two deaths stood, framed in billowing and gleaming black as they roared and roared and roared out their defiance. Zev only able to watch on in terrified wonder and wondering terror. He never thought he would say this as he looked at the unified front of two black specters bellowing out their shared rage against a common enemy, but they were saved. Darth Vader had entered the battlefield. The text of this story is available on AO3. Theme music written by Jack Dockry, Sputnik, and Sam Gabriel. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you will consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.